With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today after a couple of days off is my co-host, Curtis. And last week, guys, it it was a weird week with the late postponement of the Missouri game, which I personally am still upset about. I'm still trying to get over that. I love making that trip. I look forward to it every two years. And now if it's played at all, which I'm not convinced it will be, but if it is played, it's going to be played in the freezing cold of a Missouri December, which, which will make for a very different trip to Columbia, Missouri this time around to say the very least, but not only did that postponement wreak havoc on my travel plans, which of course none of you care about, uh, but it also threw a wrench or two in our normal recording schedule. We, we had already prepped for the Missouri preview show last week prior to the game being, being postponed, which is another source of my frustration over the postponement of that game last week. But obviously, we weren't going to preview a game that wasn't going to be played, so we had to adjust on the fly last week. And with no game to recap over the weekend, this mailbag episode is actually the first episode of the week. So things have been kind of out of sorts over the past week or so, but we are now back on schedule. We have the mailbag episode for all of you amazing loyal listeners today. And then we will be back on Wednesday with the Mississippi State game preview episode, and we'll wrap things up on Thursday with our picks of the week. But today, even with no game to look back at from last week, we still got a number of really interesting questions to answer. Some of these we're going to go pretty in-depth with. We even had a few listeners send in some uh, recruiting questions, which isn't something that we normally get this time of year. It's usually all team-based stuff, but it's always fun to talk a little recruiting, so we will have some fun with that a little bit later on in the show. And Curtis, we're going to start with a big picture question that might take us a few minutes to dig into, which is cool. That's why we're starting with. We want to make sure we have enough time to cover this in as much depth as we need to. But I've seen and heard this sentiment, and you probably have too, but I've definitely seen and heard this sentiment expressed, I mean, a couple of different times since the four loss. I even started to hear things like this after the Alabama loss, but certainly it's kicked into high gear after the most recent loss to Florida and Jacksonville. And with our first question, Jacob is kind of echoing those sentiments. And what Jacob asks is, after so much early success and getting so close to a national title, has Georgia's championship window closed with teams like Texas A&M, Florida, and Tennessee? I don't know about if I'd go with Tennessee, but with those teams on the come up. So, Kurt, I mean, this is an interesting question. Have you heard people speak in, in these kind of terms over the past week or two since that Florida losses? I've definitely heard this a couple different times. Yeah, no kidding, especially like when it comes to the fact that South Carolina just fired Muschamp. The new sentiment is that we're at best we're going to be second or third in the East because Kirby can't compete with whoever gets hired offensively. Oh, because um, they're going to bring in for- Hugh Freeze, right? And then it's, it's game over for Georgia when they bring in Hugh Freeze, right? Exactly, that's, yeah, that's, that we yeah. have no chance. Yeah, we have no chance of beating them offensively. And, you know, apparently that's a new sentiment. But um, outside of Tennessee, which I find really questionable um, – the one thing I have to point out that is the difference in these two teams this year is the upperclassmen in at quarterback, the play of the upper of the quarterback. That's the big difference in these two teams. Um, if you look at Georgia, you know one thing we talk about week after week is that there's always plays out there to be made that the, the quarterback just doesn't make the plays happen, that people are open um, along that line, and that's the that's the difference in the quarterback play. I think our team right now is actually really good. Um, Across the board, I mean, yeah, of course we're not – I mean, there's always deficiency somewhere. But I think across the board we have a really good team that could compete with almost any team in America um, before the injuries. But the big difference maker between every single team, one of those top teams, is their quarterback play. And we just didn't have the quarterback play to be good enough. And I think that's the only thing that's separating us right now is the ineptitude we've had with our quarterback situation so, so far this year. 
And then also the one thing I want to touch on that is, you know, you kind of mentioned it. People, uh, another big sentiment that people are talking about is that, well, Kirby will never change. That's why we'll always be all of a sudden become second or third fiddle in the East. And that pretty much his run is over because teams have changed while we won't change. And while I mentioned that I was frustrated in the fact that I didn't want Kirby to go back into revert back to what he knows because he feels safe with it. You kind of hit hit nail on the head um, when we talked about it a couple weeks ago due to the fact that Kirby tried to do something differently. He brought in Jamie Newman, who was com- the complete opposite of what Kirby is comfortable with at quarterback. And when that didn't work, he still went with someone that's the complete opposite, Juwan Mathis, hoping Mathis could just make something happen with his feet that maybe the other guys couldn't exactly do at the time. So I do want to mention that he has made efforts and shown that he's trying to change um, things just didn't really work out in his favor this year. But, um, no, I don't believe that we're getting passed up by all these schools. I think the big common denominator in what's going on with everyone is just the quarterback play. That's a great breakdown, man. I, I absolutely agree with everything you said there. Just a couple things to kind of add on to what you're saying. Yeah, and the, the whole idea about Kirby not evolving, I think that's ludicrous. Maybe you can say back in 2018 and even last year, yeah, he he, he had not gotten to the point where he wanted to evolve yet or not enough, especially when you promote a guy in, in-house like James Cole who's going to run basically the same system for continuity's sake with Jake Fromm, which on, on some level does make sense, right, because – you have a guy who's uh, who's probably going to be his last year at Georgia, good chance, and your offense has been humming with him pretty well for a couple of years. You've been on the precipice of a national title. It makes sense to not want to rock the boat too much, but we also need to evolve. We need to become more dynamic offensively, and I certainly recognize that. But Kirby has shown signs the past year to a year and a half of really recognizing that and trying to make changes. Okay, Now, has, has it worked yet? No, because like you said, Kirby, you did a great job of detailing it in some ways he's been a victim of circumstance the past couple of years, but he's, I mean, you mentioned like, yeah. And like I said, a couple weeks ago, Jamie Newman, you start to Mathis, you bring in JT Daniels, you bring in Todd Munkin, right. To change the system, to become more modernized in what you do. Yeah, Cause even JT Daniels isn't even JT Daniels. Isn't what we normally have. I mean, he's a pure uh, spread type quarterback, not the pocket passer of, of a Jake Fromm type. So I mean, yeah, he's, he's yeah, different absolutely. in his own right. Sure, absolutely. And I would even go back to some guys that we didn't end up landing. Like, think about John Rice Plumley at Ole Miss, right? Guys, we had him committed. Kirby went out and recruited that guy and got him committed. And he wasn't even close to the kind of quarterback that we'd had, right? He went out and recruited that guy. Now, it didn't work out because it, it, we, he would be on our roster if he could have enrolled early. He could not enroll early, and we, we needed a quarterback on the roster because he wanted to play a senior baseball. But that's the only reason he's at Ole Miss and not at Georgia, because we asked him to essentially That's really him. the reason we have Stetson Bennett right now. Yep. Yep, that's exactly why we have Stetson Bennett and not John Rice Plumley running around right now. So you can criticize Kirby all you want, but he and, and, and on some level he he deserves it for waiting early in his in his tenure. But let's not let that distract us from the idea that yes, he actually has taken steps to to evolve this offense. There have been steps that have taken. Now it has completely worked out. Part of its injuries, part of its opt outs. How can you predict the COVID situation? You cannot. Uh, and look. And you, if you could, if you want to blame him for being too late to evolve, I can, I can be down with that. I think that's fair. But I also think that's unfair when people want to talk about Nick Saban and all these people. I mean, it took him twenty years plus to change when offenses had been changing before he started changing. So I also want to be fair that a new head coach is not always going to be as open to change right away. Yeah, and and it takes a while to build your program. Like I'm not saying that Clemson was on the exact same level as our program when Kirby took over. Like when Dabo Swing took over Clemson, they were not the same level that Georgia was at when Kirby Smart took over our program, right? Um, and Dabo Swinney, so he, obviously he's seen as one of the top, I mean, what, top two coaches, wouldn't you say, Curtis, in college football right now with Nick Saban? Yeah, I would really say him and Saban. Yeah, they're on a tier the of their own right now. They're definitely on a tier of their own. But guys, let's not forget that Clemson under Dabo Swinney did not win the national championship until 2016. Okay. Davos when he's first his ninth full year, year, I believe. His his first full year was 2009. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. His eighth year, I guess. All right, eighth year. So you're you're pretty much or eight or nine years, whatever. It took him a while to establish his program. And Davos when he now was seeing that, that's outside of a what a 72 to something loss in a bowl game. Yeah. I mean, remember, remember the whole idea of Clemsoning? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's Davos winning, I mean, guys. That's the thing. Like, 
they got beat by 50-plus in a bowl game by West Virginia, and people totally just forget about that. Absolutely. And what, what changed for them? What changed? Them? And I'm bringing this back to your point, Curtis. And the point well, and that's the team. thing. You know, I was talking to someone about that recently. Dabo was a good coach before, uh, but he was made by Deshaun Watson. I would say Deshaun Watson took it to high gear. I would even go to the quarterback right before Watson. I would say Taj Boyd got them in the right direction and create a situation where they could get a guy like Deshaun Watson. Is that fair to say? I think that is fair, yes. But Deshaun Watson solidified the change. But yeah, yeah, but um, Taj Boyd was the first change because before that, I remember going back, I can't remember the guy who played baseball also. They had more of a similar pocket type guy. Yeah, absolutely. And so what changed for Dabo, right? So the first eight years, no national title. First six years, first five years, really. I mean, they're like, is Dabo going to get fired? I mean, they're Clemsoning again. They're they're losing by like 50 in the bowl game to West Virginia. Like, what, is this guy the answer? And a lot of Clemson fans would have told you no. But what changed? He found his quarterback. You get you get Taj Boyd, then you get Deshaun Watson, then you get Trevor Lawrence. Now you have DJ Uyunglele. They've got the quarterback situation fixed, and now they've got a pipeline of guys. It takes the first one. Justin Fields, yes, could have been our first one. I wish he was our first one, but he wasn't. So we've got to get that first guy. We've Hopefully it's Brock. Maybe it's JT Daniels. I don't know. But we have more resources in place to be better than what Clemson has been. I mean, I, and Clemson's been fantastic, and we're not there yet. We're certainly not. But the resources we have, the University of Georgia, we are in a better situation than Clemson is. I mean, just from a recruiting standpoint, from a from a fertile recruiting ground in the state of Georgia, from the resources that we have, the university that we have, we have more to sell than Clemson does. They just have had the quarterback. We've got to get that. When we get the quarterback, it solves all problems. So this idea that the window is closed, I no, I well, I don't, I just don't buy that at all. I'm sorry. I, it's okay if you feel that way. Of course, feel how you want to feel. I just personally don't feel that way. Maybe I'll be I think I think the overall sentiment right now of everyone is doom and gloom. It just makes everything right now. Yeah, when you lose, this is what you, you get. You get questions like this when you lose, and I get it. I feel these things but sometimes. See, and, and, and the thing that really cracks me up is when I really get down and think about it. You talked about how Nick Saban is thought. I mean, everyone thinks of Nick Saban is the greatest coach in college football, maybe even college football history. But the one thing that sticks out to me is even though he has this dynasty to Alabama, he has not won the West. You know, people want to talk about winning the East and winning that championship. There's been years where Saban hasn't even won the West. Go back to last year. LSU wins it. Auburn has won it multiple times. So it's not like he's won it every single year, but yet the window hasn't closed. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another great point. And I'll, I'll go back to Clemson here. So what, what did we say Dabo's first year? 2009? So here's Dabo's first couple of years. Nine wins, six wins. Yeah, nine, six, then 10, 11, 11. 10 and then he goes then he kicks into high gear when he gets when he gets to Sean Watson 14 14 12 15 14 okay but Kirby Smart his first five years in Athens has done far more than Dabo Sweeney did his first years at Clemson I know the different programs they they took over at different points I understand that but it, let's just let's put this into perspective okay we're talking about five years in first time head coach five years in he got us in year two to the I mean over time the national championship game uh, second and 26 from a national championship, right? We've won, we've won Sugar Bowls. We've won SEC titles. we won three SEC East in a row. I know we didn't win it this year, but what he's accomplished in the first five years pretty, I mean, vastly exceeds what Dabo Sweeney did his first five years at Clemson. Dabo's widely seen as one of the two best coaches in college football right now. And Dabo's fantastic. That Clemson program is fantastic. But the idea that, and, and I'm not saying, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to necessarily compare Kirby to Dabo and say they're the same guy. They're not the same guy. But, what was Dabo Swinney's window closed in 2010 when they had six wins? Was it closed then? No, it wasn't. Then he reeled off what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus win years in a row. And we are right there, guys. It's just we gotta get the quarterback. And I'll and I'll add to this a little bit. To me, and, I, and I've said this before in the show, but for some of our newer listeners, like when I look about winning at, 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 in college football, it's about three things for me in, in my eyes. That's just kind of how my brain works. It's about talent acquisition talent development, and then talent deployment. How do you, do you acquire the best talent? Do you develop that talent once you get it? And then do you, do you use it the right way? Do you deploy it the right way? And all three are important to varying degrees. I think, and Curtis, you might disagree with me, but I think the most important of those three things is talent acquisition. Are you with me there? Yeah, I think you have to ha- I mean, as good as Clemson is, you know, they're not five stars at every position, but you still have quite a but few. But you have the quarterback. Yeah, you they, have the quarterback. They're, and you have the, they're made by great, a great quarterback play and great receiver play. 
Offensively. Yeah, they are, I mean, even yeah. look at him this year. Do I think Etienne is the, one of the best uh, running backs in the nation? Absolutely not. I don't even think he's the first round, like a first. Well, let's clarify that. You, I mean, his numbers. I mean, he's the, he's the leading rusher in ACC history. You're just saying from like a like an, a, a talent standpoint, it's what's around him that helps him put up put up those numbers, right? Is what you're saying? Exactly. And uh, like the the receiving the receivers that open up the offense and the quarterback play make him a lot better co- player than he is. Do I think that he's the most talented running back in the history? When now that he holds the record, absolutely not. Yeah, I would take Nick Chubb over Etienne any day of the week. Sorry, I would. Todd Gurley any day of the week. Sorry, I would. Uh, I know they didn't put up the numbers, but you're right. Different offenses, totally. Uh, but I mean, and you can, you guys can disagree with me, but I think talent acquisition is is the most important of those three things. And you're right, Curtis. Clemson might, might not have five stars at every position, but they have the five star elite players at the most important positions. You've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got Deshaun Watson, you had T. Higgins, you got Justin Ross, these five star receivers, because that's what the college game has become. We've talked about that all season. We saw it against Alabama, we saw it against Florida. It's become about your passing game, your quarterback, your receivers, your skill players. That's what it's become about more than anything. You're still going to be good at other places, but that's what it's been about more than anything. And they have been elite at recruiting those positions because they had some guys that were the first guys, whether it was Mike Williams back in the day, whether it was Taj Boyd, and now they built a pipeline. And they're just getting those those players at those positions more than than basically anyone else in America, maybe outside of maybe Alabama and I guess maybe Ohio State. But I think talent acquisition is the most important um, and I, I think that, and I, I say that because we've acquired talent under Kirby Smart better than any program in America over the past three years. Now you also need to retain that talent when you when you sign a guy like Justin Fields, you need to find a way to retain him. That's a fair criticism. Um, but I think we have the talent. I mean, I, we're as I mean, what, depending on what recruiting service you look at, I mean, I, Rivals we've we've been three straight number one classes on Rivals.com, the two four seven composite, two of the last three years we've been the number one. Uh, ranked team in the recruiting rankings, but number two the year that we didn't finish on 247. So I think undoubtedly we have recruited better than anyone in America. We have that under control. Talent deployment has been an issue on offense at times, especially last year. I don't think so much this year, other than maybe like the quarterback situation. But again, as you alluded to, Kurtz, I think a lot of that was kind of, I mean, I think the simple and unfortunate reality is that maybe Stetson Bennett really was our best healthy option early in the season. And we were just trying to buy time until JT was ready, which seems to be now. I think that's just the unfortunate reality and the truth. And when Kirby was saying he was our best option early in the year, I think he was probably just telling the truth. So I don't know if I put that on them necessarily. Um, but deployment, especially under under Coley, was an issue. And even times under Cheney. Uh, development, I know Kirby gets like – he gets ripped all the time about not developing players. And I just have never bought that because I'm looking at all these players. I'm looking at Justin Schaefer, Solomon Kinley, uh, Jordan Davis, Eric Stokes, Mark Webb, Chris Smith – all these guys that were lower-rated recruits that he's been able to elevate into starters. I mean, even Stetson, I know Stetson hasn't been great, but Stetson is a former walk-on that nobody wanted. We were able to develop him to where he was at least winning some SEC games for us. Still, I mean, coming in and beating Arkansas, beating a, a decent Auburn team, beating, a, I mean, well, maybe not a very good Tennessee team, but winning some of those games. You know, and he's not elite, but like considering where Stetson came from, we've actually, I think, done a pretty decent job of developing Stetson Bennett. Um, and that, of course, are always going to be guys that 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 don't pan out. I mean, Adam Anderson has been good for us this year, but he hasn't really been able to keep on weight. You know, obviously Matt Landers, Nate McBride's a guy you hear sometimes, but that's true of every program. Think about all the guys that transfer out of Alabama because they bring in other five stars and recruit over them. They were five stars once upon a time, but they recruit over those guys and they end up transferring out. It happens all the time. It's not unique to Georgia. So I think we've got everything that we need. I, I as you were saying, Curtis, just kind of wrap this up. I'm of the opinion that we have everything we need: talent. I think we have the coach, especially now with Todd Munkin. If we can keep Munkin around offensively, I think he's a key for us. I think he's changed everything offensively from a from a play calling and just a scheme standpoint. I think we have. I think we develop talent really well. I, I'm of the opinion that we just need a quarterback. If we fix that, I think we are instantly consistent contenders for a national title. And, and as long as we recruit like we do, that's what it comes down to for me. As long as we recruit like we do, that window is still going to be open. This is not the NFL where you have to like completely rebuild a roster after your roster ages and guys want bigger contracts. I mean, there's a reason college football is, is an oligarchy. It, it Really, think about college football, guys. It's an oligarchy. It's a small group of teams whose window is always open because they are recruiting superpowers. It's your, your Clemson's, your Alabama's, your Ohio State's, your Georgia's. Once upon a time, it was Florida State. They fell off the map for a lot of different reasons. But, there, I mean, there's a handful of teams year in, year out that are really the ones that are really competing for actual national titles, and that's because they are recruiting superpowers. Those teams just need – they need everything to align. It can happen any given year. And once it, everything does align and the ball balances your way, you get a call go your way, 
uh, like Tyler Simmons actually being onside, you know, I mean, you win a national title and that could happen any year with that small group of teams, that oligarchy in college football. And I think we are a part of that. Now we have not broken through and actually won the national title, but I still think we're in that group that any given year when things align, think about it, like, like this year, past couple of years, we've had, the, we've had the defense. We haven't had the offense, but in 2018, we had the offense. We didn't have the defense. We just need things to align. And that could happen any given year, especially if you get that quarterback situation fixed, if we get that fixed, then we are certainly, in my opinion, going to be competing for championships, national championships, year in and year out, because we have everything else that we need. We just got to solve that quarterback spot, as we've said over and over again the past couple of weeks. But all right, Curtis, let's go ahead and go to the next question. It's been a long time on that first question. That's okay. It was a, it's a good question. It was a really good question, a fun question to kind of dig into. But for our second question, we're going to go to Pete. Thanks for the question, Pete. Really appreciate it, man. Pete asks, which player has disappointed you the most and which has been the best surprise this season? And Kurt, let's just start with the most disappointing player because that's kind of where everyone is right now. That's the headspace that the Bulldog Nation is in right now after the past couple of weeks. So who has been the player that's been most disappointing for you this season? Ooh, um, that's a tough one. But if I had to go off just right now, I'd actually probably say Tyreek Stevenson. All right, explain that one for me. I don't necessarily disagree with you. What he was doing at the end of the season was really big last year, especially how he was, he was physical with people and the way he was covering people. I thought he was going to really take over that star role. And while he has taken it over, I mean, him and Mark Webb are splitting and things like that. He just didn't – he hasn't developed – uh, to me, he, he he's a weakness right now. When it, he's good when it comes to t- attacking the run, but he's been very weak in his pass coverage. And I think that's the biggest thing I was a little bit surprised about because, I mean, this guy was one of the top recruits at cornerback, so you expect him to have good coverage skills, but he just has not. Yeah, he um, he came on really strong last year. He does a good job blitzing from the secondary. He's got good ball skills, really good ball skills, actually. He just is not always in position for it to matter, which is a problem. And look, defending the slot, we've always, always talked about on this show, it's a tough thing to do. They have a two-way go. You can't really get your hands on them. It's tough. It's a, t- some, a lot of times, especially with tight ends, those are bigger guys. And Tyreek's a thick guy, but he's not like a tall dude, not a long dude necessarily. But yeah, he hasn't taken the step that I thought he would this year. I think that's a, that's a, a really good one to go with. I don't know if I'm going to go with one player. I'm, I'm just going to say the quarterback situation in general, um, whether that's Stetson, whether it's Dewan, whatever. Just that situation. We we talked about it earlier. I mean, we had it set up, I, I think, to be in really good shape with with Jamie Newman and then hopefully JT Daniels. If that didn't work out, but you know, Newman hops out. I mean, how can you predict that? And then you've got Daniels, who's just clearly isn't healthy, had a bad surgery, had to have it cleaned up a little bit, and that, that's tough to predict. You just don't know that. And then Dewan Mathis, we heard all offseason – well, not maybe not all offseason. We heard the last couple of weeks of fall camp that this guy is going to explode on the scene. He's really going to take things off and change his offense. And then when we get out there against Arkansas, we're all excited. And we kind of see, oh, my God, no, he's not ready. I'm not saying he can't ever be ready, but he's not ready right now. And then, lo and behold, who are we stuck with? I shouldn't say stuck with, but who do we have to turn to? Stetson Bennett, who, God bless him, has done everything he possibly could to help this team out. And won some games for us, guys. Did a really good job helping us win a couple of games. But he's also been a liability at times as well, which we all know. And now here looks like we, we're ready for JT Daniels. Now he looks like he's ready to go. Probably going to get the start here this week against Mississippi State. At least I hope he was going to start last week against Missouri. We'll see what happens. And maybe Stetson's shoulder, the AC injury heals up a little bit. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I think that situation in general has just been really disappointing to me. All right, but on the other side of the spectrum, Curtis, who has been the, the most positive surprise for you this year? I'm going to go with Kiaris Jackson. That's exactly what I've got. All right, tell me why Kiaris. I mean, right now he's been our best receiver consistently, and um, you know the the, the first year or two because I believe he redshirted. All you, I mean, at one point, if I remember correctly, he was getting reps with the running backs. Um, so it made you think that um, you were we were kind of uncertain if the guy this guy was ever going to actually develop as a receiver, or if he was just a pure athlete that was having trouble finding a position. And then lo and behold, I mean, the guy has exploded on the scene with great hands, great route running, all, you know, just everything you can, you want from a wide receiver, especially when we don't have a good offense or a good quarterback play, he has still made stuff happen. Yeah, Kyrus has been really good for us. And, and just to add on to that, I, I thought Kyrus might have a, a good year. I wasn't necessarily shocked that he was going to take a step forward. I just did not see him be our leading receiver right now. I did not think, not only yeah, no, the real question was the, this whole the whole offseason, the real question was, do we have anyone who could be a number two behind George? Yeah, absolutely. And not only is Kyrus our leading receiver and our leading guy in terms of receptions, he 
has doubled up the next closest wide receiver in catches and receiving yards. I mean, it hasn't even been close. I know George was hurt for a couple games, but our second leading receiver is actually James Cook. And Kiaris has doubled him up in receiving yards and in receptions. And I, I did not see that coming. I, I thought he might take a step forward this year. I was hopeful. I know he's a leader on this team, but I did not see that happening this year. I thought George would have a more productive year. And there's a variety of reasons why he hasn't, which we've detailed all throughout the season. But Kiaris has certainly been a pleasant surprise. There's no doubt about that. I'm really excited to see what he can do in the next couple of years as well. And Curtis, before we move on, we've got to tell all of our listeners out there about our good friends at MyBookie. We are still very much in the thick of the football season. College basketball is actually just around the corner, so there is a ton to bet on. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and games are getting postponed here and there, but hey, there's still plenty of lines out there for you guys to make some money on. So get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And hey, what, Thanksgiving's next week, right? It's right around the corner, so there really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. It doesn't matter, guys, if you're a first-time customer or if you are like me and you've been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands upon thousands of game lines, all the unique prop bets. I actually had some fun this past week with no George game. I won a little skin in the action, so... I just took a couple flyers on some some unique prop bets, did some things different than I normally do, and it actually worked out pretty well for me. So you've got all that. There's contests that MyBookie offers each and every week. So sign up or get reloaded today. Find your edge, make your bet, and get paid. And if you prefer old school casino action, MyBookie is still the place for you to go. They got access to all the classic table, slot, and car games that you expect to find at your local haunt. And the best part is, MyBookie doesn't close, guys. They're open all day long, 24 7. So you can continue to build that bankroll at your convenience. So make the right play, guys. It's simple. Sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in 200, they'll match you with another 100 in your account. If you are already playing to bet this season, this is absolutely free betting money. So it's winning season in my bookie. It's time for you guys to come join on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. All right, moving on here. Next question is from Chase. Appreciate this question. Chase is a good one. It's an interesting one. So Chase Curtis, he says, in Kirby's first two to three years, he showed a lot of passion on the sidelines, screamed at players, and seemed to go into games not just wanting to win, but to win big. The past two years, however, I haven't seen that from him on the sideline. It doesn't seem like he has that same fire or hunger that he started with. I hate to be that fan, but do you think Kirby is getting complacent at Georgia? Kurt, what's your response to that question? Um, <laughs> I just have outright of disagreement. Um. I don't, know who he, okay. I don't know who he's been watching on the sidelines, but I definitely have not seen any lack of energy. You see Kirby like that. Um, you see the one catch that Pitts had over, uh, I believe, Stevenson, where Stevenson fell. Kirby was just as high up on the gra- up in the air as uh, Pitts was when he made the catch. So, I mean, his energy has been there on the sidelines. Um, you know, maybe he's learned. I mean, being less in players' faces isn't the worst thing in the world either because sometimes that yeah. you have to watch yourself with the recruiting and just the yeah. way the kids respond to that. So you also have to know your team. If you don't have a team that responds to that in-your-face stuff, especially because upperclassmen and people can respond to that. But some of these young guys don't always respond to that well. So you also have to know the character of your team. Um, but overall, I definitely don't question if he's gotten complacent. Um, if there's anyone that – you know, is all about Georgia football. I don't know anyone other than Kirby Smart, really, especially coaching-wise. Yeah, um, I think – I see what Chase is saying. I, I would say I don't think Kirby is as animated on the sideline as he was in, like, 2016 and 17, like when he's chasing DeAndre Swift on the sideline and doing the Air Kirby stuff. Like, may, I think that's – that might be fair. I, I think I see what he's saying there. So he might not be as outwardly emotional in the sidelines, but he, you still see it, though, Chris. He's still, I, I agree with you. I think he's still in the games, what I see. Now, that's just what I see. And, I mean, p- different people see different things. But I, I would push back pretty hard on the idea, as you said there, Curtis, that Kirby Smart does not have that fire or hunger anymore to win at the University of Georgia. I push back on that pretty strongly. I mean, if uh, anything, I think he's matured when it, his yes. sideline stuff because yes. he's, he's, he's moving more into that CEO role. And sometimes when you're that into a game, it's hard to think clearly and quickly and decisively as required by a coach in certain situations. 
That's that's an incredible point. That's actually what I have here in my notes. I think I think what you've seen from Kirby, if, if maybe he's less outwardly emotional in silence, which may be true, I think you could probably say that, um, at least by some degree. But I think it's more a function of growing up and maturing in the job. I mean, I think the first couple of years that he was the coach here, the head man in Athens, I think he was acting like he was a coordinator on the sidelines for much of those first couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, I mean when he was getting in people's faces, it was really – he was getting in the defensive players' faces. Yeah. He was acting like a defensive coordinator on the sideline because that's what you do as a defensive coordinator because the spotlight's not on you. No one, like, you're not the face of the program. No one, no one's really, like, they expect that. Defense is all about fire and energy, right? Like, they expect that from a defensive coordinator. I think he's grown into the job. I think he understands, and you kind of alluded to this, Curtis. I think he understands how that, like, yelling at players, getting their faces, showing that intensity. I think he understands how that translates to the mamas and the recruits out there who are watching at home. It might fire fans up. It might fire you up. It might fire me up. But it could very much turn off a mom or a recruit to see a guy like Will Muschamp look like he is in need of an exorcism on the sideline. Like that's not a good look. It, it's just, it's just not. I know for us, like if you play football growing up, like you know, you, we all had old school coaches, and that fires you up. It might have gotten you going. But guys, this day, this day and age, guys are different. I work with young kids, man, and I'm telling you, especially when everything's on TV, like everyone sees that, and players yeah. don't like that in this public spotlight. Yeah, they don't. I mean, like, if you have a, an option of going to work with a guy like that or a guy who's seen as a player's coach, you're probably going to, more often than not, probably going to go with a player's coach, probably. And mamas don't want to see that either. I mean, you're, they're trusting you to take care of their baby. And I, and I know as fans, we don't really have to think about that, but coaches do. I mean, they have to think about that. So I think it's more a function of those kind of things, just growing up, growing in the job, maturing a little bit, understanding that, like, recruiting is, is always at the forefront of Kirby Smart's mind. And I think that factors into maybe – how he's in some ways, maybe in small degrees, changed his personality on the sideline. But I still think he gets fired up plenty, plenty on the sideline, more so than your average coach. I'll say that. And maybe not as much as, as he did the first couple of years. I think that might be fair, but I still think he's got plenty of fire, plenty of injury. And I'll say this, guys. I don't know Kirby Smart personally. I do not know him, but I know people who do. I know people who are very close with him. And everything that I hear from them is that the fire inside Kirby Smart is now burning maybe more than it ever has. After the past couple of years, after last year, the offensive issues, this year, the offensive issues again for different reasons. But this guy wants to win and um, it eats at him. I've actually been told uh, over the past week or so how much it's eating at him to lose to Florida and lose to Dan Mullen. He's not happy about it. So uh, I would just, based on what I'm hearing, I would push back on that a little bit. I would push back on that. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. This is from William. So the news coming out of this week and big news in the SEC was that Will Muschamp was let go. So William asked, with Muschamp and staff now let go at South Carolina, what are the chances that Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo end up in Athens? Curtis, I, I've heard this a couple of times too. Do you see that as a possibility? I don't see a possibility with Bobo as long as McGarity's here because I think there's a lot of ill will there. But I would McGarity not be shocked to see. Gone quick. McGarity probably would have yeah. been gone. If there was no COVID, he probably would have retired at the end of last year. But um, I definitely would not be shocked to see Muschamp here. Um, you know, he's taken a huge buyout. You don't know what D.C. jobs are going to be open right away. And with such a huge buyout, there's, you know, you're going to offset your salary if you take a big job. So realistically, there's no pressure to take a big paying job. And I could just see him coming in as an analyst and waiting for the right job to open up because, you know, a D.C. job that was open may still may not be the right job for him in that situation. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him come here as an analyst. Him and Kirby are really good friends. Um, and not only that, but his son's here as a walk-on. So you, you kind of reunite the family, give him more his, his wife and more time with their kid. Um, so I could really see him coming here because Alabama kind of already has their big analyst with Charlie Strong. You still have Butch Jones on the uh, staff over there. But that's the one thing we don't have is a big, uh, big analyst like that. So I could see him stepping into a role as like the lead analyst and having a lot to do with us. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I don't because you know he's going to go to a defensive-minded guy that he trusts. And outside of Saban and um, Kirby, if he's not going to take a, a DC job, I don't know where else he goes. I will say Alabama, they're not happy with Pete Golding. The fan base is in general just not happy with him. And, and the big thing, though, is that I will say overall, I think Muschamp needs to sit back and learn three, four defenses because he's a four-three guy. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now he does have a, a history. I mean, he was defense coordinator for for uh, Saban at LSU back in the day, so there's a relationship there. I, I think it's more likely he would be at Alabama than Georgia because I mean, look, these guys aren't coming to Georgia. I don't think they're coming to. I, I know you've said analyst position. I just don't see them coming here. I know they have the money and they can just sit back and wait. But I, if a defense coordinator job opens up or an offense coordinator job, I, I think that's more likely. So I don't. I think I don't think they're coming here unless there's an opening at the coordinator spot. 
And I don't see Dan. I hope Dan Lanning doesn't go anywhere. I mean, right now I would take Dan Lanning. I, I mean, I know it sounds crazy. I would take Dan Lanning over Will Muschamp, and I would take Todd Munkin over Mike Bobo. So, like, I, I do we want? Oh, yeah, him? I agree with Todd Munkin. I think Mike Bobo has really. I, I if anyone's been passed by the changes in offense is Mike Bobo. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I, I have a soft spot for Mike Bobo. He's a he's a Georgia guy through and through. He loves this university. Bleeds red and black. But like, do we really want Muschamp and Bobo? Or are we like better off with who we have right now? I don't think we want them. I just don't know. I mean, Kirby's a control freak, especially on the side of the ball. That's his side of the ball. And it, how easy is it going to be to control Will Muschamp? I mean, I know they're buddies and whatnot, but like, I mean, he he's got his own pedigree. He's got his own you know history. I mean, like. He he's been a head coach at two different schools in the SEC, so I I don't know. I think if if Lanning did move on, I think it's more likely that we would promote Glenn Schumann than hire Will Muschamp. I, I I personally believe that. And if you hire Mike Bobo, like you said, Kirk, like we're going straight back to bully ball on offense, which is exactly what people have been screaming for us to get away from. So I I personally think it's very slim chances that either one of those guys end up in Athens. It's not impossible. I'm not going to close the door because Kirby does have a good. I, I, but my, my thing was I don't. I only believe Muschamp comes here as an analyst. I bet, like I I agree with you that I don't see him being as a DC. Yeah, yeah, and I just yeah, that's fair. And I just I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I, mean, I, I could see him sitting back and taking it as a learning experience. If he is going to be an analyst, it would would be shocked for him to be here, um, because even at DC at Alabama, you've got Charlie Strong there, who has been an analyst for this year. Maybe I don't know if it was last year, but I know at least this year. And so he's been in that system, kind of getting to know the players and the recruits and things like that. So if anyone has a firsthand feel on defense, I wouldn't be shocked to see Strong go. That's fair. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right. Good question. Good question. All right. Next up here, Aaron has a question for us about the game this weekend against Mississippi State, if it actually happens, which hopefully it will. Aaron says, Georgia opened up as a 24-point favorite against Mississippi State this weekend. How is Georgia favored by 24 over anyone right now with all the offensive issues? Kerr, what's your take on that? Well, Mississippi State's that bad. They just had their starting safety opt out. Kylan Hill's already opted out. Um, they've had a rough stretch the last couple weeks. Um, and, you know, once again, people are hoping that a quarterback change may change things overall for us. And I think that's what they're taking into account. I mean, if you if we had ran a different system against Kentucky, I think we would have beat them by more than 24. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right, Curtis. I mean, Mississippi State is just that bad. I, I know we're all still frustrated and upset, even emotional after the, the loss in Jacksonville. But come on, guys. Like we're we're still outscoring opponents by ten points a game and all SEC opponents, and that's and that's also we're playing two top five teams away from home. We've won three games in the SEC by twenty one plus points. Mississippi State, I think you can make a legitimate argument. I know they beat Vanderbilt by a touchdown, but I, th- I still think you can make a legit argument that, that they're the worst team in the league right now. They beat Vandy, but they also got outgained by Gandy, by Vandy by two hundred and seventy eight yards. They just got lucky that Vandy turned the ball over five times again. That's the only way they won that game. Mississippi State has not surpassed 300 yards of offense since week two versus Arkansas. They scored 44 points in week one against LSU, and everyone thought, oh, my God, the air raid is taking over the SEC. Well, since then, they scored 54 combined points over the last five games. This team is a train wreck right now. They're having guys opt out and try and get the transfer portal left and right. Leach is talking about basically like completely wiping the roster clean, a clean slate. So yeah, look, Mississippi State's really bad, and we're we're better than how we played. And the quarterback change could be a big difference there. We got some guys come back healthy. Piggins will be back. Uh, Lewis Seen's gonna be back healthy. So and Jordan Davis, there's a chance he might play. We'll see. So we're getting healthier. Quarterback change potentially could really change. Mississippi State is really just that bad. They just really are. So I'm okay. I mean, I think 24 points actually is pretty appropriate in this game. I really do. I think that's just about right. All right, next up, Curtis, we have a question. I know you actually texted me something along the lines about this over the weekend, so I want to hear your thoughts on this. But Matthew has a question about uh, the quarterback recruiting in the next couple of years. What he asks is, we have brought Vandegrift in this class, but what do the dogs do recruiting the quarterback position moving forward? Do we take a, do we recruit a top quarterback for next year like Gunnar Stockton now that Muschamp is fired, or do we take a lower-rated guy in 2022 to create some class separation. Curtis, I know you have some thoughts on this, so what's on your mind? All right, well, first off, I'll say there's two scenarios. Say JT takes a job and does decide to come back since he was given a chance and wants to see what he can do long-term to build up, trying to get to the NFL, and he comes back next year. If that's the case, then I'm kind of on board with getting Gunnar Stockton because while Brock's had a year in the system, he hasn't really had a year getting reps since taking – um, you know, first team reps and things like that 
that can make it as big of a difference. Um, but scenario two, say whatever happens with the quarterback, it ends up Brock is the guy as a freshman. I'm not on board with that because it takes a special type of person to be okay with sitting that long. Cause he's going to have to realize right then he's going to be sitting for two years. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the type thing you have nowadays. So it depends on what happens with JT, in my opinion. So you think if JT and stays also, and he's the, and he's the quarterback next year, that means it's going to be an open competition between Brock and maybe Carson Beck and whoever we bring in 2022 going into that season. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but the okay. one thing I also want to point out is the, the the downside to that is we already hear about it enough with anytime someone enters the transfer portal. Now, Brock, say there's an open competition and Brock wins it, um, and Gunnar Stockton transfers out, or it's the other way around. I'm not saying it's going to be one way or the other, but it'll the, somehow people will still find a way for our fan base to be angry and upset over that and feel polarized about the whole idea that someone entered the transfer portal against us and Kirby screwed up the quarterback things again, and it just opens it all up. So that's yeah. the one thing I really am, am hesitant about it because anytime someone transfers, some fans tr- tr- like to turn it into the sky is falling. Yeah, and if you guys know, Gunnar Stockton, five-star quarterback from Raven County here in Georgia, committed to South Carolina, a really close relationship with Bobo and and uh, also um, Jay Bushall. Yeah, and I'm – I'm more on the side of maybe going for a lower guy. Like someone I'm looking at is that guy out of Collins Hill who's a pretty good quarterback, um, has a great relationship with that really good receiver that's committed to FSU right now. But maybe we can go in there and try to get them to come in as a package or, you know, sell on Georgia in general. And then that way that guy's – I mean, someone like that's not knows when they're getting recruited. They're not going to be the top guy. Um, so maybe he's someone that's more willing to sit around. Yeah, I, I like your thoughts on this, Chris. I, I think that we're – Looking at this, pretty much the same. I, I under, here's what I would say. I understand the frustration that comes with seeing five star guys at quarterback transfer, like a guy like Justin Fields. You sign him, you get excited, and he transfers out, and you see them excel with another program. I get that, but if you can keep, so I, I understand why it might be dangerous to keep recruiting five stars to five star to five star the quarterback position because you can only play one guy. And so if whoever doesn't play this day and age, they're transferring out, and then that sucks to see. But if you can keep getting five star guys at the quarterback position that commit to you year in, year out. Like it's really tough to turn them down and say, oh yeah, well, we know you, you're a top quarterback in the class this year, but we're not going to take you because we want to have some class separation between our five stars. We're going to take a three-star this year. A guy who's a little bit lower rated who understands he might not be the guy coming in. He'll be here long-term. It's just really tough to turn those guys down if they want to come play for you. It's tough, but I, but you're right, Curtis. I get what you're saying. Like, like when you have all these five-star guys coming year after year, it does create division of the fan base. It, I mean, realistically, that's someone like Clemson's M.O., Yep. When you come down to it, um, they have that class. You know how they, guys. yeah, how they attack recruiting. Oklahoma's the same way. You know, they get their stud one year, and then they maybe get a guy who will come in. But I mean, like the backup to Rattler right now, that guy is you could, was never going to be the top of their class. But it's someone that's willing to sit. Caleb Williams will next year. Yeah, he'll be the he'll be that next yeah. guy. Yeah, you're you're right. And, and it it make, I will say also if you keep in these five stars who end up, who don't win the job and they transfer out, it makes it really tough to keep your numbers up at that position with a transfer portal. Like you have to go to the well, transfer yeah, market. You lose, you lose that scholarship, and at the same time, there's going to be players on the team that are loyal to him that think maybe he didn't get a fair shake at it, and it can affect your team in general. Your yeah, 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 it can affect your locker room. Um, you, you're always on the transfer market, and then you then you have a situation like last year where, oh yeah, Stetson Bennett's our backup, and it's like, huh? And then the situation this year where Stetson's starting, and and you mentioned the perception. I think this is important because it also creates the perception that your coach, in this case Kirby Smart, can't handle quarterbacks, and that brings heat on him, fairly or unfairly. In the perception, we know how this works. Perception, even if it's not based in reality. Perception eventually becomes reality. Even if it's not based in fact, it will eventually become reality. People just it becomes an echo chamber. And that can be very negative for your program and build some heat around your coach. It doesn't really need to be there. So I, I, I do get that. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. Like if, if Gunnar Stockton wants to come in and in, 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 now that I mean, he might still go to South Carolina, who knows what happens there. But if he reevaluates and decides he wants to come to Georgia in 2022 and follow just a year after Brock Vandegrift, like Curtis, honestly, if you're Kirby Spark, do you turn him down? Like, really? Do you say, no, I'm sorry, Gunnar, we're not taking you. No, I don't. And that's the thing. It's hard. Like you – it's just a real hard situation to be put in as a coach because, like you said, people like to freak out over the transfer portal. But at the same time, like, you don't know who may end up being the better guy if there's an open competition. 
Exactly. And that's what Kirby's always about. He always says it's about competition. And that's great. And I will say that's great at most positions. At quarterback, it just creates issues for your team. Like it's good. Yeah, and, and that's level. why I said the, the decision to me is really all based on what happens with JT. Because if Brock is this, the guy next year, say JT, you know, just doesn't do it and Brock comes in, wins it as a freshman, he has his growing pains, but he's getting all those first team reps. It's going to be very similar to the Justin Fields situation. Now, I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but maybe Gunnar Stockton is the better quarterback in college between the two, but he won't get a fair share because Brock's the, you know, the experience. He's the guy that has a year of starting experience under his belt. It's hard to overtake him. Yeah, it's hard it's to overtake him. When it's, a, when it's an open competition and neither guy has any starting experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting question. That's why the coaches get paid millions of dollars to make those decisions. It's tough. It's definitely tough. All right, Kirby, real quick, we have a couple of recruiting questions. We're going to go rapid fire on this. Darren asked, Smailman is scheduled to announce his commitment on Wednesday. Are the dogs going to get good news? Is he an immediate impact player? Kurt, do you think Georgia ends up landing Smailman in on Wednesday? Um, I do think we are, and I think he's pretty close to immediate impact guy. I mean, he still is a little raw at that at that position overall, but I still think that his uh, what he brings to the table just can't be yeah. overstated how important it is athletic-wise. Yeah, I mean, this guy is 6'3", 220, number 27 national, 247 composite. I think we will end up landing him. It's been a close battle. He's an inside linebacker. He's very – I don't know if he's going to make an immediate impact. He, he's got the the talent, He's but he's so raw. But he has extremely high upside. I think he could maybe work himself in the rotation potentially next year just based on upside alone. Uh, but I think he might be one of those guys that works his way into the rotation maybe later on in the year next year. All right, moving on here. I've got a question from Seth. Uh, he says, with likely only a few spots left in the 2021 class, after what you've seen this season, what positions would be your priorities the rest of the way? Kurt, what position are you looking at as a priority? we got to get another receiver, so um, definitely there. And I'm looking at another running back because you just never know what's going to happen with Zeus and James Cook. Um, and as we're seeing, injuries can happen where at one point against Florida, we were down McIntosh and Milton Bow. So, I think you need to look at running back potentially. Um, and then right now, I think you need to look at the deal on defense. DB and uh, defensive line are the two big spots to me because as we're learning, you can never have enough DBs with these injuries and the way got, some guys don't pan out. Yeah, this is a tough question to answer, honestly, until we know which of the underclassmen are going to be declaring early for the for the NFL draft, who's going to transfer. There's a lot of different moving parts here that go into like determining recruiting priorities. But based off what we've seen so far this year on the field and kind of who we have committed already this, this year, there's a couple of spots I'm looking at. You mentioned one of them. Actually, you mentioned both of them that I'm looking at here. One on the offensive side of the ball, one on the defensive side of the ball. Wide receiver on offense would be that position for me on that side of the ball. It's going to be tough because we had a really great haul with the receiver class in the 2020 class. It's hard to convince other top guys to jump on board when we just brought in four or five top-level guys last year, and two of them were, were starting games already. Arian Smith is just getting back healthy. We'll see what he's able to do, but I know the coaching staff is very high on him, so it's going to be tough to convince top-level guys to come in and follow that with no class separation. But we need to try to find some guys, whether it's through the the high school ranks or maybe it's grad transfers, whatever it is. We need to find some guys that can come in and play next year and be impact-type guys. Look at what we have coming back next year at that position. Yeah, we should have George Pickens back. Jermaine Burton, very high on what he can do. He started base, he has started every game this year. Kiaris Jackson, hopefully Arian Smith can be that guy. But we don't really know. Like, But the, the only known quantities right now are Pickens, Kiaris, and maybe Jermaine Burton. We've seen some flash from he, him. The, the coaching staff is very high on him. I know that. And he started every game this year. Arian Smith is a guy that we don't know for sure yet, but I still think he can be an impact player for us. But other than that, we just don't really know. I mean, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint was growing into that. Like he was really coming on, but then he has the horrible injury after the touchdown catch in Jacksonville. And he should make a full recovery, but he might miss all of spring. He might be ready for fall camp. He's just going to miss a lot of development time. Dominic Blaylock, another ACL injury. I mean, and that was in... The, uh, the 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 middle of the summer in August. So you just don't know how healthy Blaylock's going to be, Rosamy, how much development time they're going to miss. That hurts you. So I think that's a position because we've, we've, on top of getting better at quarterback, we've got to also continue to improve receiver. I think we have the weapons to get better there. We have the young guys. They just got to continue to grow and we just need some more bodies there. We really do. 
because we certainly don't have enough guys that we can, that, where we can withstand some injuries next year. And on the defense side of the ball, I would say defense of backfield in general, whether that's cornerback, star, safety, we just need some DBs. We need them in a bad way. Because it, 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 this comes down to like, does Tyson Campbell leave? Does Eric Stowe leave? I think there's a good chance both those guys leave. I think Campbell would really benefit from coming back a year, but he'll blow up the combine. If he goes to the NFL combine, he will blow up the combine with his measurables, his speed. I mean, he'll, he'll test off the charts. But I just think another year development would really help him out. Maybe even get him, so maybe even in the first round, if he, if he just develops more, because he's got all the physical tools he needs. But those guys could potentially go pro. Mark Webb will graduate. Richie's gone. We know that. So who do we have left? I mean, if all those guys are gone, I mean, Jalen Kimber from last year's class, Keely Ringo, none of those, neither one of those guys have really played. Kimber hasn't really played. Ringo's been hurt, nursing that shoulder injury after he had surgery short, shortly before the season. Chris Smith has been a good guy filling in for us at safety. Lewis Seen will be back. He'll be the leader back there. Tyree Stevenson's played a lot, but he's still got to continue to grow and develop as well. Major Burns has played a little bit. But that's about it. I mean, we're really thin back there. Then you got guys like Dejon Warren coming in as a, as a as a JUCO guy, who I think could be an impact player right away at one of the quarterback spots. Kamari Lasser, Javon Buller, those are guys with high upsides, but I don't know if they're ready right away to play. So we need to go find some more DBs. There's no doubt there. We need to find some guys. All right, and Curtis, finally, last question for us today. Luke wants to know, are there any potential impact grad transfers that we might be able to bring in next year to fill some of the holes that we're going to have. And I'm not I'm, I'm not going to limit it to grad transfers, just transfers in general. We're going to have some holes in this roster where guys leaving, guys graduating, guys going to the NFL draft, other guys transferring out. Are there some guys that you're looking at that, that could potentially transfer in, Curtis? It's hard to know because you, you just don't know who's looking to go somewhere else. And at the same time, I don't know if we have that many holes that right now off the top of my head that people think that are holes but maybe aren't actually there. I think we're going to have some holes. I mean, I think Jordan Davis is going to be a massive hole. I don't know how we replace him. He's been such a key cog in our defense for a couple of years now. Receiver, I mentioned, just go back to the recruiting priorities. We need some receivers, and we need them now. I think DB as well. We need DBs that can come play now. So those are some positions I would look at. So I'm looking at a guy like Tamarion Terry from Florida State, who who's actually from South Georgia, from Turner County. 6'4", 210-pound receiver. Scary Terry is the nickname. You guys know what I'm talking about. He was a good player last year, over 1,200 yards receiving. He was one of the better receivers in the ACC last year. With the quarter, with the coaching change and the quarterback issues they've had at Florida State, it hasn't really clicked this year. He's no longer with that team. There's a chance he could, he could just declare for the NFL draft. That's certainly possible. But I think he's a guy, after what happened this year and just not really having a great year, maybe it would be in his best interest to come back to college one more year. And if you're going to do that, like, what better place in Georgia, right? Like, you're from the state of Georgia. We're a top program. It makes sense. I mean, I, I, I would be watching him very closely. Certainly no done deal, but it's a name to watch. Another guy that I have trouble pronouncing this name, but I'll give it my best shot. So we're going to go with Siki Ita, who's a former top 150 recruit in the 247 composite. He's been at LSU. He just announced a couple of weeks ago that he is entering the transfer portal. He's a guy that could potentially fill a Jordan Davis void, maybe not to the degree that Jordan Davis is. Jordan Davis has been a, a star for us. But Ita is 6'2 and a half, 370 pounds. I think he needs to lose a little bit of weight, which Davis had to do as well. But I think he's a guy that can certainly help us in the defensive front next year to kind of fill that void at nose guard. So a couple of names there. Tamarion Terry, Siki Ita, we'll go with that until I hear otherwise. Just a couple of names to watch. But all right, guys, thanks for listening to us here on the Glory UGA podcast. We're glad to be back on our game week schedule. We will have the game preview episode for you guys later on this week, and then we'll wrap things up with our picks of the week. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.